Thank you, Willoughby. Thank you for that warm welcome. I want to invite you now to open God's Word with me to John 5, verse 36 to 40. John 5, verses 36 to 40. I'm sure you have some Bibles in the pew in front of you. Uh, Also, I don't know if you guys do this, but at Cornerstone, often a lot of people are using Bible apps these days, and the words are also on the screen. So however you like to read the Bible, please join me now in reading from John 5, starting at verse 36. It says this, Jesus says, I have a testimony weightier than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I am doing testify that the Father has sent me. And the, and the Father who sent me has testified himself concerning me. You have never heard his voice, nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you. For you do not believe the one he sent. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. This is the word of the Lord. Well, sisters and brothers, in the Lord Jesus Christ, many of us, when we are often asked how often we read the Bible, we reply, well, not as much as I should. We have our favorite psalms, our favorite Bible study, Bible stories from Sunday school, and some of us even have Bible verses hanging on the walls of our home. But even with all of that, a lot of us wonder why we read the Bible at all. As I understand it, you guys are in a sermon series right now on the, the different names for Jesus. And so you may be wondering, why a sermon on the Bible in a series about the words of Jesus. Well, the truth is, I wrote this sermon uh, a number of years ago, and uh, it's easier when you're doing pulpit supply to choose a sermon you've already prepared in the past than to write a whole new one. But actually, no, that's not the whole story. I was prepared to write a whole new sermon uh, if I didn't have one that fit with your your sermon series. But the truth is, uh, this sermon on the written Word of God, I believe... And the more I thought about it and prayed about it, it was perfect. A perfect fit for the title of Jesus, the Word of God, the living Word of God, as he is sometimes referred to in Scripture. So as we go through a sermon about the Bible, we will start to see the ways in which the Bible is really all about Jesus. So let's dive in. For some of us, the Bible is a book of stories that we can mine for abstract principles And then we pull out those abstract principles, we develop them into systematic theologies that are timeless and fixed, ironclad and impenetrable. But the problem with systematic theologies, good as they are, helpful as they are to help us understand the Word, the problem is as soon as we put the finishing touches on our systematic theologies, the Bible comes along again and shakes it up with a parable or a story, or a verse that seems to not fit, and then we have to start all over again, or at least adapt our theologies. And our theology should be adapting and constantly breathing. Of course, that reform principle, semper reformata, means always reforming. As reformed Christians, we want to constantly be going back to the Bible to reform and rethink through our theologies. 
other people. Other people read the Bible to proof text our pre-existing arguments. We say, where does it say that in the Bible? Chapter and verse. And if you can quote the perfect chapter and verse, then you've won the argument. But the problem with reading the Bible in this way is that we use it as a tool or a weapon in our back pocket in order to defend our pre-existing beliefs. Some people read the Bible out of duty. Some people try to read the Bible as a whole year, but I had a, or the whole Bible in a year, but I had a friend who did that and said, at the end of the year, it felt a lot like homework. So all of these different ways that we read the Bible and use the Bible, they lead to two things, I believe, if not done correctly. If not done correctly, these two different ways of reading the Bible lead either to violent certainty in which we use the Bible as a weapon to try to prove other people wrong, or it leads to despair and frustration and exhaustion. Oh, I failed to read the Bible. I haven't done my homework. The religious leaders in our text today that Jesus was speaking to were very well studied in Scripture, probably more so than many of us, probably more so than many seminarians like myself, people who pastor. They devoted their whole life to the study and obedience of Scripture, at least what they thought was Scripture. And then this, in this reading in John, Jesus says something very surprising and mysterious. Interestingly, he doesn't call them out for not reading the Bible enough. He says to them very plainly, you diligently study Scriptures because in them you have eternal life, but... There's a but after this. You diligently, you, you think that that was a compliment. Congratulations, you diligently study the scriptures because in them you have eternal life. Why is this something Jesus needs to adapt and push back upon? Why would Jesus critique people who diligently study scripture? Isn't it true that the Bible contains eternal life? Is Jesus saying the Bible doesn't contain eternal life? There's a humorous moment in the Simpsons movie in which in the middle of a worship service, the Grandpa Simpson falls to the ground and begins speaking in tongues and prophesying. He's sort of having an, uh, an experience of being slain in the spirit. H Homer Simpson, the main, one of the main characters, his daughter Lisa says, Dad, do something. So Homer quickly grabs the Bible from the pew in front of him and he flips through it and he goes, oh, this book doesn't have any answers. I think a lot of us Treat the Bible in that same way. It sits comfortably at the back of the pew until the crisis hits, and then we crack open the Bible, tearing through it to find some kind of meaning. But the problem is, once again, when we look to the Bible for eternal life, the Bible in and of itself, hear me, hear me correctly, when we look to the Bible in and of itself for eternal life, we end up either in despair, or like the religious leaders in, the, in our text, convinced of our interpretation of the truth of Scripture, which leads us to then wield the Bible as a weapon, like Saul on the road to Damascus, armed Bible in hand to stamp out heretics arising within their midst. So both of these ways of reading the Bible whether we're reading it in despair like Homer Simpson or like Saul in triumph over our enemies, 
Both of these perspectives Jesus has a word for. Jesus says, you diligently study the scriptures because you think in them you possess eternal life. But these scriptures testify about me. You can hear Christ's passionate frustration when he says, these are the scriptures who, who, that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. A number of verses later in John, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus here is making a radical claim that should, that disturbed the first century Jewish leaders. But the reason I, I, I start this sermon off this way is because we need to be disturbed by this truth as well. Jesus himself is our eternal life, not the scriptures in and of themselves. If you don't believe me, let's hear Jesus' words once again. He says, you diligently study the scriptures because you think that in them you possess eternal life. These scriptures testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me and have life. Now, am I saying the Bible is not important? We should get rid of the Bible and just follow whatever conception of Jesus we have in our head? No, certainly not. But I say it this way because I want us to feel the offense that those first listeners of Jesus would have felt when they heard him say this. This should wake us up. And it's also the solution for all of the despair and violence we use when we interpret the Bible poorly, which we'll see in a moment. Biblical commentator Frederick Dale Bruner put it, put it this way. He said, the Bible is not about the Bible. Jesus tells us in our text for, the di- for today that we're not to look for, to the Bible in and of itself for answers, but we're to read the Bible, the Scriptures, the written word, in order to encounter Christ, that living word who dwells in each of us through his Holy Spirit. And we are to keep coming back to Scripture every day, every hour if we can, to continually reform and reshape and clarify our relationship with that living word of God, Jesus Christ. The Bible is constantly pointing us to, on every page of Scripture, by the way. If simply studying Scripture too much was a problem, then why would it be that Jesus' followers later held on and cherished these Scriptures so deeply? That violent persecutor Saul, after his conversion in 2 Timothy, calls Scripture God-breathed. God-breathed. All Scripture, he says, is God-breathed and useful for training and correcting and teaching in righteousness. So why is it that Paul, this former persecutor of the Christians, who breathed out murderous threats in the name of these Scriptures, is now relentlessly celebrating and quoting and steeped in this living word of God, this written word of God, both at the same time? The answer is because on the road to Damascus, Saul, who was later called Paul, encountered 
the person of Jesus Christ. He encountered the living word. He encountered the spirit of Jesus Christ, which inspired these words from the beginning. And it changed everything. And he had a new perspective on that written word. The written word came alive to him after that. Rather than being a tool of death and persecution, it became a tool of life that fed his soul and grew him in greater love of God and a greater love of his neighbor. Our reading today from John 5 is from John 5, and many of us will know that just a few chapters earlier in John 1, it tells us about the Word of God, Jesus Christ, and that Jesus Christ is the Word of God. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God in the beginning. It is Jesus Christ, this living Word of God, which the written Word testifies about, as Jesus himself claims in our text. These scriptures, this written Word, testifies about me, the living Word. His point is that if we study scriptures, however diligently, and it does not lead us to meet with, meditate on, and have a real encounter with the living Word of God, that is Jesus Christ himself, then at best, we're wasting our time, and at worst, we're falling into despair or persecution of our enemies, as we saw earlier. The single most important reason to read the written Word of God is to hear and to meet with and encounter the living Word of God. And as we do that, the living Word of God leaps off the page and into our hearts, transforming us from the inside out, renewing our minds, as Romans 12, verse 1 to 2 says. This encounter with the living Word embraces all of our previous concerns, our despair. This book doesn't have any answer. It it absorbs our despair. It it confronts and challenges our self-righteous battle-waging, transforming it like it did with Paul on the road to Damascus into a love encounter with the triune God revealed to us in Jesus Christ. Once you've met the living Word of God in the written Word, you can say to Jesus, all of these scriptures testify about you so excitedly. And deepen your relationship and knowledge with Jesus at every turn. You'll know you're reading the Bible correctly once you've had that encounter with the living word. Once you've experienced the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. You'll know you're reading the Bible rightly when you experience, as it says in Romans 8, his spirit testifying with our spirit. That we are children of God. When that, that written word leaps off the page as a living word and connects with your heart and reunites you back to your loving Father. Professor of spiritual theology Walter Russell puts it this way. He says, the Spirit will always lead us to the Bible. And he says, the Bible will always lead us to the Spirit. Illuminated by the Spirit of God, that doesn't put an end to our differences as a church. It doesn't stop us from the need to continually dialogue with one another and challenge each other and sharpen each other, but it does change the tone and the manner and the way in which we dialogue with one another as Christians. It leads us to put down the written word as a weapon and pick up 
the written word for that living word of God, an invitation. I'm encountering this transformative love of God in my heart through this word. Would you like to join me on that journey? And what's more, when we fail, God demonstrates his great love for us in this, that while we were still sinners... Like Saul on the road to Damascus, enslaved to our own narrow readings of that written written word, to the point where we crucified the living word right in front of our eyes when he came, God, by the power of his Holy Spirit, raised Jesus from the dead, vindicating that living word and forgiving us our violent but misguided certainties drawing us afresh, forgiving us and drawing us anew into a real encounter with that living word, Jesus Christ, who loved us before the foundation of the world. Now, early church fathers and mothers devised a mode of reading Scripture that is so distinct and unique from our modern understanding of Scripture that it is truly refreshing. If you ever get a chance to read uh, the first 1,500 years of church history, there's good and there's bad things like all church histories in there, so it requires discernment, but it is truly refreshing. Anytime you can get out of the last 200 years and, uh, and, and, and just go deeper with these ancient ways of reading Scripture, it really is refreshing and eye-opening because there's just so many assumptions we have in the modern world that they didn't have back then. And so many assumptions that they had back then that we don't have anymore, and it just it's such a wonderful invitation. And one of the most incredible things that uh, early church fathers and mothers offer to us as a gift now is what's called the quadriga, big fancy word, but it means the fourfold interpretation method of Scripture And it teaches us that every passage of Scripture, every page of the Bible, there are at least four things that we can glean, no matter what part of Scripture we're in. Some, it may be harder than others to find, but everywhere in Scripture, there's at least four things we can glean. The first level is the most basic and surface level, and this is the level that modern people hang out at all the time. This is called the historical literal level. What happened, who was involved, and why. As Christians, I think we spend too much time on this level, and then we jump right to how can we apply this then to our lives. What happened, who was involved, why, perhaps what did God do, but even in that still surface level, what did God do in the, in the literal page of the text, and how can we take some things and apply these things to our lives. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that, But I think the early church fathers and mothers would say, you're only scratching the surface, that first surface level. So they invite us to go a little bit deeper. The next deeper level is the allegorical level, which allegory just means a symbolism, that things in the Bible can mean other things and there can be deep spiritual truths just beneath the surface of that literal reading of the text for us to glean. This is a way we can probe, led by the Spirit of God, that living word, to some deeper meanings. Now, for many modern people, rightly so, there's a lot of reasons to be suspicious of allegory. Certainly, you can use allegory 
if you're, if you're doing it, again, in, in kind of an a, a improper orientation of the heart, you could use allegory to twist scriptures to make it say whatever you want. This is why it's so important to be having a living relationship with that living Word of God, that Holy Spirit that's real and active and guiding and showing and teaching so that when you're reading the literal level of the text, you're actually being taught by the Spirit some deeper symbolic truths of how perhaps this applies to your life and and, and you never even thought of that before. But again, that's not you doing the work to apply it. It's the Spirit revealing things. And certainly we need to challenge these things and test them with the whole uh, uh, thrust of church history and biblical interpretation and all of these kind and community. We need to test these things in community and against other passages of Scripture. So it needs to all fit. But there is a, a beautiful, deep, allegorical, symbolic truths for us to discover just beneath the surface of the text. And if you don't believe me, uh, in Galatians, Paul, once again, uses an allegorical method to talk about Ishmael and Isaac and how Ishmael and Isaac, the, on the literal surface of the text, they were two children of Abraham, but on a deeper symbolic allegorical understanding, they teach us something about the law versus the gospel and how to live based on the gospel rather than the law. It's really quite profound. The Spirit of God, the living Word of Jesus Christ is waiting just beneath the surface of the text to probe us deeper to illuminate our hearts and minds. So that's the second deeper level of the quadriga. Then there's the third level, less controversial. They taught that every passage and page of Scripture has the opportunity to convert us, to transform us to a greater love of God and our neighbor, to a greater love and a deeper repentance towards our loving God and Father who loved us and sent His Son for us to die for us and deeply cherishes and loves each one of us. That second or that, that third deeper layer is the layer of love and, and, and conversion to a greater love of God and our neighbor, which leads us to the deeper level, the deepest level, the level which the deepest level, which is paradoxically is also the highest level, the level at which we encounter the face of God. They taught that every passage of Scripture it, it can have deeper symbolism and truth and allegory that can teach us things through the Spirit. It can show us a greater love for God and our neighbor through the Son, Jesus Christ. And that fourth and final level invites us to gaze upon our loving God and Heavenly Father who loves us and turns His face towards us and lavishes His grace upon us and gives us peace. These four levels of Scripture, the early church fathers and mothers teach us, can show us so much, can deepen our understanding of Scripture, can, can help us to soak in the Scriptures and be transformed by them and be ever-deepening our relationship with our loving God. In this encounter with the triune God through our reading of Scripture, can happen whenever we read Scripture. You realize it's, 
the triune God who originally inspired the Scriptures. So what better partner on your journey of biblical interpretation than that same triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit who is living and active in the world today, pulling each of us up into a relationship with Him, wanting desperately to show us deeper mysteries as we read. So I, I give you the, the, the quadriga as a, um, another tool in your toolkit to deepen your reading of Scripture so it doesn't become this thing that you use to prove or push or it doesn't become this despairing thing that ah, I can't even get anything out of it, but it becomes a, an invitation to a deeper love and, and, and a deeper communion with our triune God. I'll finish with a, a short story about uh, Scripture and how that can change. I, I mentioned how our study of Scripture can change. I mentioned how sometimes we try to read the whole Bible in a year and that can end in despair or defeat or it can feel like homework. Well, my wife and I just started this, uh, this Bible plan in the Bible app called the Bible Recap with Tara Lee Cobble. And in this... There's a short prayer at the beginning of every week, and then, and then there's several readings, two or three chapters of the Bible that you read through. But what I love about it is, is she begins with these prayers to set our heart and mind in the right place. And then there's the Bible readings that you can either read your, on your own on the app, or you can even press play on the app, and it'll read them to you. So my wife and I at night will just put it on, on, on our speakers and just listen to the Bible read to us as we go to sleep and let it wash over us and not be legalistic about it and beat ourselves up if we don't uh, hear every single word or if our mind wanders a little bit, but just soaking in the overarching story of Scripture and how that informs us and, and, and forms in us Christ Himself, truly, through His Holy Spirit. It, it forms him deeper in us, in our encounter with the Word. Not just the written Word, but the living Word of God. And then there's an accompanying podcast that she releases with it as well. And, and in that podcast, the Bible, also called the Bible Recap, she just has a seven to eight minute commentary on all of these things. And what I think is so fascinating is that uh, she often does all of these things. She does the biblical interpretation. She reads a lot of commentaries of the historical and literal uh, uh, level and time of that, of, uh, and understanding at that time. But she also goes even deeper than that uh, to seeing Jesus on every page of the Bible and trying to end with an understanding of, uh, and of an encounter with God that, that each text brings. And so I commend that to you also as a there's many ways we can all try in community together to push each other and to grow deeper in our faith and our walk with God. And these are just a few ways that we can do that, that I encourage you. But keep in mind these fundamental truths as you do that, that the triune God, the, the, the one who inspired his word is there, ready to meet you and draw you deeper into relationship with him on every page of scripture. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would come now with your Holy Spirit and plant your living word, that is Jesus Christ himself, in each of our hearts. Heal our violent anger at one another. 
heal our ability and, and temptation to treat the Bible as a weapon and instead grow us, deepen us in your love for the glory of you, God, our Heavenly Father, alone. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Willoughby Church Sermon Podcast. The Willoughby Church Podcast Network also has podcasts about discipleship, the Heidelberg Catechism, and even a podcast hosted by some of the youth. You can find out more about the Willoughby Church Podcast Network by going to willoughbychurch.com.